Good morning, New Life Downtown. Isn't it funny? Here we are on the one-year anniversary of everything being shut down from COVID, and we're thinking, yeah, we're getting everybody back, and we're worshiping, we're meeting downtown, and on the one-year anniversary, we're back to being online. <laughs> Someone uh, on our on our staff called it this week, Snowvid. It's not COVID anymore, but it's Snowvid. Well, I do hope you're safe and warm, and uh, you've got a good blanket, and you're snuggled up, maybe some hot chocolate, maybe you got the fire going. Uh, it, it is, you know, it is important in this kind of one-year uh, anniversary to not cruise by it, to really stop and take inventory. There's an old Jesuit practice um, developed by Ignatius, the founder of these, uh, the Jesuit movement, uh, called the Prayer of Examine. And the Prayer of Examine is a way of examining your own heart or inviting the Lord to help you examine your heart. And so a lot of times in, in, in the Prayer of Examine, you're, you, you spend a moment kind of reviewing the day. And, but you could do this for the whole year. You could say, Lord, what was this last year like, you know, from the beginning of the pandemic to now as we're, you know, walking out of it? Um, what, what, what happened? And then in those moments, start to name the, the gifts in it. Were there any gifts? Lord, what were some unexpected gifts in that moment? And, and really, maybe for a lot of us, there's more on the other side of the column, which is the griefs. What were the griefs um, in the season? What are the things that we kind of need to take stock um, about and how do we name the losses, the, the ways that we've uh, actually maybe suffered some blows and experienced some fears or, or, or some uh, maybe the loss of jobs, incomes, friendships with the tensions that happened and social conversations and all of that stuff. Take stock and, and, and evaluate. In many ways, this is sort of this return from exile kind of moment, which is perfect because we're in this series called Everyday Prophets and we're going through the different prophets and uh, many of the ones we've been talking about have, have come right before, you know, the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom and, and scattered them or right after that and and maybe right before uh, uh, the Babylonians were coming to Judah the southern kingdom and trying to get them but this book the book of Haggai which is where we're at today is all about how to rebuild how to rebuild how do you put the pieces back together in your life after the storm or after, in their case, after exile. I think it's a particularly poignant message for us today as we're evaluating, looking back, taking stock, and saying, yes, God, we're feeling the return. We're getting back to uh, life and eating out and all of the stuff. But wait a minute, as we try to put the pieces back together, how do we actually rebuild? So Haggai 1 verse 1 starts this way. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet and said, But is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? It's a striking verse because, one, it's probably maybe the only time or one of the few times in the Bible that you hear this phrase paneled houses and uh, referring perhaps to kind of the cedars of Lebanon and people uh, taking when they finally had materials and access to stuff, prioritizing their own dwelling place instead of God's dwelling place. And it says an important message to us. I mean, it's very easy to take a text like this and use it as kind of a, you know, guilt and shame. How dare you spend money on yourself and uh, that sort of thing. But that's, that, there's a bigger picture we're meant to notice 
from the prophet Haggai. And the first thing I want us to see is this. We need the presence of God. The idea behind emphasizing the temple, prioritizing God's dwelling place and not just their own dwelling place, uh, the, the reason for that or the message behind that is to prioritize God's presence. His dwelling place indicates that this is the place where God himself lives, where he dwells, where he fills in it. God must be first. His house must come before our house. And that's not just a comment about priorities about spending or priorities about time. It's also a comment about priority of person, of presence. Is it more important that I show up and you show up or where there, or is it more important that we recognize, wait a minute, how have we learned to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit? Very often, we've found ourselves during the past year saying, Lord, ah, you're here, you're here with us and reminding ourselves of his presence with us. In these moments of rebuilding, it's tempting to say, okay, thanks God, you were really with us in the crisis, but now as things are picking back up, we'll take it from here. And Haggai says, listen, the first thing you need to do when you return to the land is not get on with business as usual, but it's to return to the Lord. It's to remember his presence, to, re to recognize that his presence is the one that matters most. Several years ago, um, Holly, my wife, uh, talked me into going to this family camp. And I am, I'm just the worst. I am, I'm, I'm stubborn about these things. I don't like to go to these um, sort of family retreat things. And the whole design of it was they had activities and lessons for the kids. And then the adults kind of had these, you know, forced vulnerability kind of sessions, which, you know, are good and, and so helpful. Um, but I, I had that kind of a bad attitude for a, a lot of it. But I, I will never forget, there's one really, really important kind of message that stuck with me. And they had this saying that they kept saying at the camp, which was schedule first what matters most. Schedule first what matters most. And it made me recognize that actually you may think something's the priority, but if everything else gets put on your calendar first, you end up with leftovers for it. So maybe it's a friendship, time with your friends or your roommates. You're like, let's do something fun together every weekend, but you don't actually put it on the schedule. Well, all of a sudden people, their calendars fill up with other stuff and you're like, man, you know, I, I don't know if we'll ever get together. It's almost like that joke about most of your 30s is saying to your friends, we should get together sometime. And then you don't ever find a time to do it. Well, it's a bit like that with the Lord. How do we schedule first what matters most? How do we decide, Lord, wherever I'm going to put this, whether it's in the morning or in the evening or the afternoon, how do I build it in so it exists on my iCal? It's right there. But the trouble with just thinking about this in the sense of first, putting God first, the trouble with that is we can, we can kind of move on. We can kind of go one and done. We can check the box and say, I had my quiet time, did my devotions, check, go. When Haggai was saying to them, you need the presence of God, you need to prioritize the temple. The temple in the Jewish way of thinking was the center of the cosmos. It was kind of this, um, it, it, it represented the, the center of the world. In fact, many of the prophets, Isaiah and others, when they had visions about the temple, they envisioned people coming from the north, south, east, and west to worship God at the temple. And even that image of people coming from the north, south, east, and west, that implies that the temple is the center, that they're coming to this sort of hub. And so when, we, when Haggai's saying, build the house of God, he's saying, let God be the center again of your life. When I was in high school, 
I had, I, I remember journaling one day during my quiet time and I, I felt like I was approaching my life like a report card, you know, how's my social life, how's my, you know, uh, school academics, how's my life with God. And in that moment, I just all of a sudden was convicted by the Holy Spirit and the Lord spoke to me saying, I don't want to be a column on your report card. I don't want to be one class that you're taking. So oh, life with God, that's a B minus, you know, whatever. I want to be the center of it all. Some of you, you think about prioritizing God, but he's really just one category, one column on your report card. That's not what it means to take stock or take inventory. He wants to be the center, the hub of all of this, the source. So first and center, but another word we could add to this is source. He's the source of all of our goodness, of all of our joy, of all of our life, all of our happiness. Haggai is rebuking the people of God because they're acting as if the source of their happiness comes from getting their homes paneled and getting everything set right. Listen. All of that's great. Vacations are great. We're going to take one soon. Uh, 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 trips are, are, are wonderful. Homes are, are wonderful. I mean, good luck buying a house here in Colorado Springs. But thank God, you know, for those of you, you know, who do have one. They're, they're wonderful things. These are blessings. But you must never mistake the riverbed for the fountainhead. Never mistake the riverbed for the fountainhead. The riverbed carries the water to us, but the fountainhead is the source. That's how it is with God. There are many riverbeds, our, our homes, our friendships, our stuff, our, uh, our, our freedom, whatever that might be. Those are all things that carry joy to us and life to us and, and, and happiness even to us. But they are not themselves the source. God is the source. So by Haggai pointing out God's dwelling place and saying, build the temple, first. He's saying, man, make God first. Make God center. Make God the source of your life. Let the presence of God be the source of your life. Some of you have had some other things dry up, some other riverbeds dry up, maybe some relationships that, uh, that have been severed, maybe uh, some strained family dynamics or whatever that might be. Some riverbeds have dried up for you. You can still return to the fountainhead. You can still tap into the life of God, the very presence of God. When you're rebuilding after the ruins, some things may not be recoverable. Some things may be gone. I lost this, I'll never get that. But remember, those things are riverbeds, not fountainheads. The second thing Haggai's trying to say in calling them to rebuild the temple is that we need the people of God. This might seem like an interesting connection to make, but when you follow on through the scriptures, Jesus in John's gospel refers to himself, his own body, as the true temple. And then Paul goes on to say, because Jesus is the temple, all who are in Jesus are being formed as a new temple. This is the way Paul says it in Ephesians. Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together, here it is, into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. You're growing into a temple and you're being built together as a dwelling place. Now imagine this. Haggai says, don't just build your own houses, build God's dwelling place. Paul says, let me tell you this. The dwelling place of God that is being built is you, the church. The church together, us together, us plural. 
it's easy for us to, you know, kind of focus on a, a reference here in Corinthians or that, that says, you know, your body is a temple. There is, there's something true about that. But most of the time the New Testament uses temple imagery about Christians or about the church, it's in plural language. In the Texas translation, it'd say, y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so there is a sense in which we, we can't just talk about the presence of God in an abstract way. The presence of God goes hand in hand with the people of God. And the people of God need a place. We need a place where we live out together and become that kind of family. Uh, maybe in this past year, it's been difficult to, to recognize what is, the, what is the value of the gathered church. Is, is there a value to this, the gathering, the institution? I've read different people you know, around the country say, well, you know, through the pandemic, we, we realized we didn't need church anymore after all. And there was this big kerfluffle early in the pandemic about whether or not churches were essential or not. I'm not here to defend an institution because I happen to work for it. I want us to recover the biblical place, the biblical value of the church, the gathered place where the people of God come together in a particular place and experience that presence of God. Some people say, well, you know, wasn't Jesus anti-institutional? Wasn't Jesus sort of against all that stuff? And we imagine that he was sort of a roaming hippie on the countryside. The truth is, the Gospels tell us that Jesus, when he went to the synagogue, and it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. And the early Christians, when they began meeting, they went to the temple. That's where Peter and John healed a man who was lame outside the temple. And they heal him so that he can join what's happening in the temple. In other words, don't pit these things against each other. Yes, the presence of God, but the temple also represents the people of God in a particular place when they gather together. Some of you, as you're watching this, maybe that feeling of dislocation and isolation is coming back to you as you're having to tune in online again. And I, I, I want to encourage you when the snowpocalypse, snowvid is over and you have the chance to come back, come back. This can be a place where we're, the pieces can be put back together again. Come back with friends, with community, with your small group. Uh, be gathered back together again. Are there ruins in your own life? Let the church community be a place where you can be rebuilt. If you feel like, I'm not sure where I fit, where I belong, or, or, or maybe if this is the church for me, you've been checking it out and you're wondering, it's New Life Downtown, is this a place where I can actually belong? Look, we're all, there's a lot of imperfect sinners that are being built together into the temple, saved, being transformed, once strangers and aliens, now citizens and saints, being fit together as a temple. Come and join us. Maybe this can be the place where God puts you together in as a family, and together we become this temple. So we need the presence of God. We need the people of God. But thirdly, we need the power of God. The other image that comes through so powerfully in Haggai that complements the imagery of the temple and calling the people back to the house of God, rebuilding the house of God, is the, the, the emphasis on the spirit of the Lord. Listen to this in Haggai 1 verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord, I underline this, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. And he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. 
and the spirit of all, the remnant of, all, of the people. So who's doing the stirring up? God is doing it. The Lord is stirring up the spirit of the people of God. And it says, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. The result was work. They were able to kind of work. They were able to dig in and say, okay, let's do this. But their work was empowered by the Spirit of God. It was the Lord who stirred up their spirits. And then in Haggai 2, Verses two through five, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Now, this is a very real thing. Their temple was glorious, the temple of Solomon, and it had been stripped, it had been plundered, it had been laid bare. It had been desecrated, and now here they are, and they're saying, look, look at this shack we're building, it's nothing. But the Lord says to them, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Why? Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you, when you came out of Egypt. And here's the key phrase. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. My spirit remains in your midst. When we're trying to rebuild in this season, emerging, returning from exile, as it were, this year of the pandemic, we need God's presence. We need God's people. We need one another. We need to be in this place with God's people and we need God's power. We need his spirit to actually empower us. We'll be tempted to compare it to how things were pre-pandemic. Maybe some of you are like, still thinking about Palmer High School. When will we get back? We don't know when we'll get back. Palmer said they won't open up this fourth quarter of the school year and probably not this summer either. So we're gonna be at the Antlers Hotel downtown for the foreseeable future, which is great. It's beautiful. In some ways, it's a more glorious house than the previous house. But in all the different ways, you're like, man, I don't know, it's just not the same, or this or that. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today to say, hey, 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 don't, don't, don't view this as nothing. Don't view this as, well, it's just, you know. Be strong. Commit to the work. Commit to the work of relationship with others. Commit to the work of signing up for one of the courses, whether it's Alpha or the Emotionally Healthy courses or uh, Mom's Discipleship or the Marriage Mentoring. Commit to the work of developing community and friendship. Commit to the work of serving in the church. Commit to the work of serving through the church, our city and our community. Be strong, commit to this work. But recognize that it's only possible because of the power of God. When we think about this story, we recognize that actually the people of God, they, they rebuilt this, but the temple wasn't that great. It, it was kind of, you know, shabby. And then later on, King Herod builds a very glorious temple. And there was, you know, there were sort of mixed feelings about it because Herod was not a godly king, but he was sort of quasi half Jewish. And he did rebuild the temple, sort of this complicated political figure, if you will. And the people of God wondered, is that the fulfillment? Was Herod's temple to come hundreds of years later? Was that the fulfillment? But ultimately, Jesus points to himself as the true temple. 
Jesus points to himself. And that's why Jesus, when he cleanses the temple in John's gospel, and he, and he says, I, I'm gonna tear this down and build it up in three days. And the people are like, what are you talking about? It took, for, it took us forever to get a glorious temple. That's what for Haggai's been talking about. For hundreds of years, we've been talking about it. And, and, and John puts as a footnote there, he says, but he said this about his own body. Jesus is the very dwelling place of God. Jesus is where the people of God are formed together as reconstituted people. Jesus is where the power of God becomes available to us. In Christ, Paul would write over and over again, in Christ we become new creation. In Christ, old things have passed away. In Christ we are forgiven. So the presence, the people, and the power of God are all found, they're located right here in Christ himself. And when you look at Jesus, you recognize, in the end, it's not so much about our return to God as much as it is about God's return to us. This is the move that Jesus makes. In Haggai's day, they're so uh, excited and maybe being reminded, come back, come back, not just to the land, but come back to the Lord. But as Christians, we read past Haggai and we realize even our best efforts to come back to the land and come back to the Lord is still nothing compared to the beautiful way that God comes back to us. So friends, this morning, I wanna say to us, be strong. The Spirit is here, fear not. The Lord has come to us, the Lord is with us. His presence is here, His people are around us. His power is available to us. So if you would kind of take whatever you have available with you in your homes, uh, for communion, maybe crackers, juice, whatever you have, accessible toast, orange, you know. And let's, let's hold it before us and just think about this and just say, okay, Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you, gracious God. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. But for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us. Let, that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And friends, the, the mercy of God is here. The forgiveness of God is here. We are forgiven in Jesus' name. We say this call and response very often. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. So lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord. It is right to give him thanks and praise. On the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to, the father, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, drink this, all of you, for this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so friends, what you're holding before you, what you're uh, about to partake in, it represents to us the gift of God given for us, the people of God. Receive them in remembrance of what Christ has done. Feed on him in your hearts again by the Holy Spirit, by faith and gratitude. Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. We ask now that you would strengthen us to be strong and to fear not. We ask that you would call us back, that even in the season of rebuilding and return, that we would remember your presence and your people and your power, that we would not try to do things in our own strength, but we would lean on you and welcome your grace. 
that we would not try to be alone. For all of us who can return, even to the gathered worship services of the church, Lord, help us to return again. And not just to return in presence uh, physically, but also to return in relationships and connection and community. And we pray through all of this, we would experience your presence as first, as center, and as the source of every good and perfect gift. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, New Life Downtown. Thank you for worshiping with us online today. We'll see you back at the Antlers next week.